and how much of what we do as teachers matters every single day. And that's the exhausting part and the <laughs> awesome part. This is the ICTE Podcast, a quarterly news and talk show about what's new, trending, and worth discussing in the world of teaching English language arts. The ICTE Podcast is the official podcast of the Iowa Council of Teachers of English and was created to advance ICTE's mission of facilitating deep connections and professional learning for English language arts teachers of all stages. This is episode eight. I'm Austin Hall, and I'm coming to you from ICTE and iowaenglishteachers.org. In this second episode of season two of the podcast, a look back at last month's ICTE Fall Conference and an interview with Nikki Smith, our ICTE Conference Chair. You'll want to be sure to stick around for that full sit down with Nikki, as for the first time in ICTE podcast history, we'll have breaking news pertaining to the 2019 Fall Conference. Special thanks to Twisted Bean Coffee Company in helping bring this episode to you. My interview with Nikki was recorded at the Merle Hay location, and I appreciate Twisted Bean being a friend of the pod. Last month, ICTE held our annual fall conference. Our 2018 conference theme was Towards the Fire, Carrying the Flame of Social Justice. To this end, ICTE President Aaron Miller opened up the conference with an activity that provided attendees an opportunity to consider what we truly mean by text complexity and what gaps we may have both as readers and teachers when it comes to, quote, diverse texts. So here's a look back at President Miller's conference welcome. Especially if you were unable to attend the conference, I hope you find Aaron's game to be helpful, and I encourage you to try it out on your own at home. minutes here this morning and just share with you a little bit about why the conference theme came to be. Um, so as you can tell, the conference theme is really centered around social justice, and this has been a theme that's been growing louder and louder um, in the region and then across the nation. If you've been to NCTE in the last couple of years, um, you've noticed this theme, right? And NCTE has come out with different resolutions that are really great um, to read and check out on their website, right? That talk about uh, the value of honoring all voices, right? And each voice and each person who has a story it needs to be recognized as an individual story and have those things not get lost in the broader narrative, right? And it's our job to champion for our students. I think, um, for those of you who don't know, I switched districts. I've been in Ames before and now I'm in Webster City. And what strikes me in Webster City when I'm thinking about social justice is that if I, I was really, um, I think, invested in exposing students to stories and characters that they could find themselves in, right? And I still think that's really important, but I think also if we don't ever expose them to voices that are different from themselves, then they don't grow either, right? And in Webster City, we don't have as many diverse voices. Uh, we have diverse voices, I'm not saying we don't, but I think uh, it's hugely important for us to, to push our students to expand uh, their narratives, right? And I think it's important for us to examine ourselves in that too, right? Because it starts with us as English teachers. We have a lot of power, um, both in the text we choose and the types of writings we ask our students to engage with. And we need to be sure that we're using that power in a way that um, empowers students and empowers and honors these voices from various backgrounds. So we're gonna start today with a little game, a little brainstorming, okay? So you need a piece of paper or a device in some way, something to type up some ideas or write it down. You can do this with a partner. You can do it with your whole table. You can be really independent and decide you're gonna do it by yourself. Your choice. In just a minute, I'm gonna pose a question to you and you're gonna have two minutes to see 
how many you can get on your list, right? So it's like a brainstorming game. Who can win? Who can get the most on their list in two minutes? Are you ready? Everybody got a device or paper or something? Okay. How many authors can you name? Two minutes, go. Right? If we only have a short amount of time, the people that tend to come to mind are the people that either we've engaged with most often over the years, right? Our, our favorites, our passion, or the ones we've engaged with most recently, right? And so if we're thinking about ourselves and the authors that come to mind, a lot of times I know when I'm thinking about what, what's a text I'm going to use with a group of people, an audience, teachers, students, whomever, I'm going to draw back on what I know, right? And what, so those are the two things that kind of came in. So I want you to look at your list now, and I'm probably going to give you five or ten minutes to kind of dig into this, either alone or with people at your table. But I want you to examine your author's backgrounds, okay? See what you have for a gender balance. See how many different ethnicities you might have. Do you have authors of various sexual orientations? Do you have any authors who might be differently able? further. Were there gaps on your list? Was there an imbalance perhaps? Um, I know every time I do this I have a, a gap, right? I'm, I don't have a perfect balance of what comes out of my head and what's on the top. Um, so I want you to take a couple minutes and reflect either with the people at your table or on your own about whose perspectives you might need to explore further and how you might do that either through conversation with other people here, specific sessions you might want to go and explore, um, or those sorts of questions. So we'll give you a couple minutes to think and talk about those. We're going to do another version of this game. So you need a new piece of paper or a blank page on your computer, wherever you are. And again, you can have your choice. You can do it with your table group, you can do it by yourself. Whatever you need. You have two minutes again. And the question is this. How many characters from diverse backgrounds can you name? Doesn't have to be fictional characters, could be the lead in a, you know, could be a, an autobiography, but how many characters from diverse backgrounds can you name? I think the interesting question to reflect on is how are those characters being portrayed? Because we can have characters from diverse backgrounds, but sometimes they're reinforcing a stereotype that's negative. Sometimes they're not showing positives or they're not showing multiple stories and so we're not breaking down any stereotypes. So the question, uh, I have a couple questions here for your list, right? So when you're thinking about these diverse characters, how many of them are heroes? How many of them are victims or villains? 
How many of them are written by authors who understand those or experiences or have lived those experiences? And how many of them are reinforcing stereotypes versus challenging traditional stereotypes of those characters? So let's do a little thinking and processing around your list. So I think one question that I've heard the most over the last couple of years, um, as I've worked with a variety of teachers in spaces, I get this question sometimes, don't I need to sacrifice a wide variety of experiences in favor of text complexity? Because when I'm looking at the Lexile, the Lexile on some of these more diverse texts is too low. That makes me want to just cringe, right? So sometimes what I do is I pull up this triangle, right? Because I think we get really hung up on one side of the triangle, and we don't think about the whole triangle. And I think when we're thinking about a variety of experiences, we really need to think about the reader and the task. And sometimes um, a text, right, maybe is not uh, at grade level, so to speak, in the qualitative or the, quanti or the quantitative measure, rather, but it's an experience that student needs to have, and by reading that text, or that particular text, and engaging in the task that you ask them to engage with, to think about and open their mind and expand those experiences, it is a rigorous text, right, and it is an experience that student needs to have. Um, so I'm going to leave you with that. I don't want you to forget about the whole triangle, right, if we're thinking about text complexity. So there's a glimpse of the 2018 ICTE Fall Conference. But what does it take to put on the flagship events of the Iowa Council of Teachers of English? To find out the answer to that question, look ahead to what's in store for the 2019 conference, and to simply pick the brain of a teacher I admire, I decided to sit down with high school English teacher and current ICTE conference chair, Nikki Smith. Enjoy. All right, well, Nikki, thanks for joining me here today um, on the podcast. Uh, why don't you, just for the, um, for the good of our listeners, why don't you kind of fill us and give us a little background about um, your teaching professional experience and kind of where you teach, what you teach, that kind of thing. So this is my 11th year of teaching. Um, I'm at, currently at Urbandale High School, and I teach 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. Um, before that, I was with Colfax Mingo and taught mostly 9th, 11th, and 12th graders. I am uh, was a, started with the ICTE, the executive board, as a secretary um, shortly after the conference, the fall conference of 2015, and then in 2017, I was appointed by our president Aaron Miller to be the conference co-chair with Christy Kirsty Ewald. Well, and it's, and it's been kind of fun to see, uh, I know not only yourself but a lot of us on the board, kind of over the past couple of years, some roles have changed and. I guess it's like any sort of committee, uh, things evolve and, and change, and that's sort of the nature of, of the beast a little bit. You mentioned uh, conference committee. At this point, we're about a month removed from uh, the fall conference, your first fall conference as, uh, as a committee chair. So now that we've had a little bit of time to let that digest and for you to process that event, uh, I'm curious what has sort of stood out the most to you from that experience. I think it was crazy to see how it all came together like we had built so much energy and momentum going up to those two days and then it was 
just fascinating and 100% worth all the work to see it come together, build even further, and then go out across the state. Like I just imagine it as just bursting clear across this entire state of Iowa, going back to all different districts and all different teachers and all different classrooms. Yeah, and so um, I know one of the things that you know really resonated with me was, I mean, every year it's interesting uh, the different themes to the conference and how that takes shape and how uh, you know the keynote speakers come and. Um, it all seems to mesh really well, and I'm, I'm sure um, that's kind of how the sausage gets made behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> but I know from the outside, it always sort of looks like everything kind of comes together. This theme uh, for this past year, obviously, was uh, towards the fire, carrying the flame of social justice. And at least in, in my mind, as a participant over the past couple of years, that theme kind of has seemed to be a little bit bigger in scope than previous years. And so I'm curious what you and, uh, at least for this year, your co-chair, uh, Kirsty, who you mentioned, what you guys were hoping to accomplish with this particular theme uh, in this particular year. It kind of feels like anymore that our jobs as teachers are bigger than what they seem. Like, I feel like I'm not just in there to teach English and reading and writing and be done with the day. I feel like I'm motivating kids beyond that. And I kind of wanted, we wanted to capture that in the, the conference. We came off of NCTE last year and there was just this huge vibe that reverberated all about social justice all the way through and how much of what we do as teachers matters every single day. And that's the exhausting part and the <laughs> awesome part. Um, but we need to recognize the role of teachers beyond just the curriculum. We're not givers of curriculum, especially in this day and age where so much information is available. We need to teach students not just the curriculum, but we need to teach them mental health. We need to think about their voices and how they're being heard. We had a list of different issues that teens face every day um, and how we can help them to to manage those or just get different perspectives on it. I don't want to fix it. I want to open their minds and think about it from different perspectives. Um, with our current world the way it is, we I. I would be doing them a disservice if I just taught them how to read and write. Hmm. And so my natural follow-up question to that is, is kind of thinking about how, you know, you, you speak of how the role of the English teacher is so much more than, you know, dispensing curriculum or, or whatever. So can you talk a little bit more about how at least you see that role of an English language arts teacher uh, playing in that overall larger scope of social justice? Mm -hmm. I think specifically, ELA teachers have a very unique role because of the nature of reading and writing and what that tends to. Both of those disciplines um, allow for an art as well as a craft and well as skill. Like it's a blending of all of these things that come together to create this. Um, I think it was Ryan Goble from, it was a um, ICTE conference maybe four or five years ago, mm -hmm. and he talked about trying to bring in more technology into the classroom, he worked with MindBlue and did all of these things, and he's, it said something that really resonated with me. He said, this is the next generation who will be solving all of the problems of our current world, climate change and everything like that. And he says, the answer to that is not a multiple choice test. <laughs> it's like, how do you solve climate change? C, that's not the answer. So we have to help kids with the choices that they make, and I can't assess their reading and their writing through a test. It has to be through their voice, through their reading abilities, through their skills, through their interpretations, through their analysis. And both reading and writing are used to create a better society, like are used to impact what society goes. And through the sure. choices that we make and the experiences that we give students, we have the opportunity to shape those and give them more opportunities to have those experiences through reading different texts and through writing opportunities and things like that. Yeah, and so um I know you have, have done a couple different things uh, in the various electives that you teach, but uh, how do you see social justice or that idea of uh, preparing students for this world's um, 
that you know may very well be different than the worlds that uh, we were prepared currently for in, right, and are yeah. currently in. Uh, how do you see uh, that aspect of social justice showing up in your work, your day-to-day teacher life? So I just finished a unit with my sophomores. Um, it's just a basic sophomore Lang and Lit class that all of them take. And I got the idea from uh, the ICTE conference last year. They talked about a youth lens <laughs> and seeing things through an adolescent's point of view. Um, and I have all of these books that I read. We did that as a teenager that now rereading as a teacher gives me a different perspective. Um, and they have different perspectives too. And I wanted them to analyze, are these authors accurately portraying you hmm. as a teenager through this writing? And it gave me a great way to introduce like the critical literacy lens. Like, because they can't, it was a great way to introduce analyzing without really having to right. tell them they're analyzing it. They're like, right. oh, is this accurate or not? Um, so we did books, we had four books going in the groups. We did Dear Martin, um, The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian, Speak, and Simon vs. Homo Sapien Agenda. Nice. So we had, all those books. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got to bounce from group to group and talk about it and talk about the perspectives. So it was fascinating to see their conversations. And like we did a conflict presentation where they had to pick a conflict and then present that and say, is this an accurate conflict that teens have? Is this how it would really be resolved? Hmm. And it was pretty impressive to be a great way to introduce analytical skills that wasn't something, what's something more relatable to them. Right. So it kind of helped us to see their perspective. So were they across the board or did, did the, did your kids think that it was fairly accurate to their experience, or? Actually, the the two older of the two books, and I know yeah. I say older relatively, right? Um, but two older of the two books, they thought were a little more removed from them, which I thought was okay. very interesting. And of course, mm-hmm. I want to do like analytical research into right. why. <laughs> right. They thought Speak and True Diary were so much more further removed from them, which I yeah. thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, well, let's uh, sort of keep focused a little bit on the conference, but I want to kind of move on a little bit from the social justice aspect. I'm super interested in, one, the, the undertaking that I am sure putting on a, a fall, annual fall conference entails. So can you kind of give us a, as much as you can, sort of behind the scenes look at what that process is like of uh, getting a whole two-day state conference uh, set up? Mm-hmm. So the, the amazing support team, including mm-hmm. Kirstie, was just phenomenal to work with, and it could not be done without them. Um, but it's a lot like planning a wedding. I kept making that comparison sure. all the way through because you find the venue and there's a lot of work up front to make sure everything's secured and your, your location's secured, your venue's secured, your keynotes are secured and all the stuff that has to be done. And then there's kind of a little bit of a lull, just like with planning a wedding. You're kind of doing some fun things, maybe doing, right. you know, but everything else, like Get the theme the cake has to be, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Maybe doing some taste tests or whatever. And then right before, like the month leading up, that's when it gets crazy again because mm-hmm. the details and you have to make sure the program's set and make sure registration's going well and make sure all of this is working. Um, but I was making comparisons to it all the way through about that. And it's sure. not, with with Kiersey's guidance, it was pretty fun, I'll admit it. I mean, it was easy to, it didn't feel super overwhelming, um, but I think I might have been a, an event planner another lifetime anyway. <laughs> so, I, but no, it was, it was exhausting and exhilarating. I think like, just like teaching is, yeah. it's just, okay, yeah. So I assume you've already sort of started turning the page looking ahead for 2019 or what are the first couple steps Mm -hmm. with with that as far as that goes so we kind of had this this idea in mind for 2019 already when we started planning 2018 because we wanted to bring the awareness of social justice and Mm -hmm. talk about it and then we wanted to take it further and talk about okay our voices and how can our voices Mm -hmm. be used and authentic throughout the process so we officially have a theme now all right i know so it's empower our voices, authenticity, and advocacy in the 21st century. So I'm pretty excited. We don't have keynotes booked. We have 
emails out and we're sure. working on working that but I can't confirm any keynotes yet <laughs> but we are pretty excited about getting that continuing that movement through for yeah. students and teachers to share their voices where would you like to see if the conversation this year was about social justice and maybe not only looking outward but inward as teachers I know one of the things that uh, Aaron had us do at the beginning of that conference was you know thinking about uh, the text that we're familiar with the text that we teach uh, and are we does that reflect in uh, you know all of our students or does it sort of put value or um, privilege on, on certain mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious where like big picture ideas what are you hoping that uh, when attendees leave the 2019 fall conference what are you hoping are the sort of conversations that they're having as a result of that so I want to learn make it a little selfish here I yeah. want to learn how to make learning more authentic for students, make mm. my writing more authentic for students. Like I'm desperate to read Beyond Literary Analysis still. By, mm. Me yes, too. Yes, I'm desperate yeah. to read that book because I want them to feel empowered with their own voice so that they can move forward and make the change that they want mm. to see in the world um, and be able to, when they're challenged or when they're confronted with something that they, makes them uncomfortable to have that voice to stand up. Yeah. No, sure. That sounds really cool. No, I'm excited, <laughs> excited. about that. I'm excited <laughs> about that already. We'll get back to my conversation with Nikki Smith here in just a moment. But first, a quick announcement on behalf of the ICTE Executive Board. At ICTE, we know that one of our trademark areas for teachers to share their knowledge and to interact with other members is our annual fall conference. However, we also know that not everyone is able to make it to that event, plus it's only two days out of the entire calendar year. Another way for you to get involved in your affiliate, ICTE, is through publishing your original writing through the teacher writings page of our website. Here's ICTE Publications co-coordinator Missy Springsteen-Hopped with more. In English classrooms across Iowa every day, we ask our students to share their voices through their writing. And now ICTE is asking English teachers to do the same. Please send us something for the ICTE teacher writings page. New teachers, experienced teachers, no topic is off limits. We want to hear from you. We're looking for pieces 200 to 600 words in length, reflecting on classroom experiences, teaching strategies, and or life in the classroom, or frankly, anything written by teachers. Teacher writings do not have to be about school. We are hoping for a variety of writing styles and points of view. Things about your writer self, what are your writing passions outside of teaching? Are you a poet, an essayist? Share your writing in any genre or topic. Or share your experiences. What do you love about being an English teacher? What was amazing in your classroom this week? Share any part of your life as a teacher learner. Favorite novels to teach? Do you have a favorite novel for a specific age group? A specific lesson that always gets students excited about reading? Write a post and let us know. Writing lessons that work. What do you do in your classroom to encourage student writers? Are there prompts, activities, or lessons that inspire writers in your classroom? Share with the ICTE community. Or even managing the workload. How do you achieve a work-life balance as an active English teacher? Are there tips you found to make it work? When do you feel overwhelmed? Share with ICTE. Whenever you're ready to submit, you can send a message to missy at missy.springsteen at gmail.com. That's M-I-S-S-Y dot S-P-R-I-N-G-S-T-E-E-N at gmail.com. Uh, that's how you go about sharing your piece. Uh, share your expertise with the rest of ICTE uh, and get yourself published on the ICTE teacher writings page. 
Okay, well, we're, we're back here with, with Nikki, um, and I, I want to sort of take this conversation uh, a bit more specific now, um, not so much with Nikki and her role as uh, conference committee chair, but uh, Nikki as a teacher. And so, Nikki, one of the things that I've, and I know you and I have talked about this, not on the microphone before, uh, that I'm really, I'm really intrigued by, and I, I really admire you for the different types of classes that I know you've taught. Um, they always seem really unique and interesting to me. Um, so I'm uh, kind of curious if you could just sort of go through and describe some of these courses that you've taught, uh, and specifically that you're teaching now. Yes. We, I teach currently, I have a, a Lang and Lit class that is basically just our year-long sophomore class that every kid takes. Then at junior and senior level, our kids get a choice of electives to fill their uh, requirements. Uh, after a curriculum review that we did. And so currently I have two sections of sports literature and writing. I have a section of advanced women writers and a section of advanced composition. And advanced women writers and advanced composition are both DMAT classes. So the kids get credit for both as well. So uh, I I guess maybe because they're the most unique to me and because uh, I guess I'm the one doing this interview, I can be selfish and direct (laughs) the conversation the way I want to. I'm really intrigued with both your uh, sports lit and writing course and your ad, advanced women writers mm-hmm. course. So maybe if I don't know if you want to focus on one before the other or talk about both. Can you kind of uh, walk us through the the process of getting those classes off the ground? Um, I imagine it starts maybe with an idea uh, and then seeing that class actually come to fruition mm-hmm. and be something that you see in your online schedule. Or right. Yeah. Yes. Um, a few years ago, our district did a curriculum review process um, just before standards really came about. And so we were unpacking the Iowa Corps, trying to understand that further, looking at what assessments could be, and doing all that work that every teacher does, looking at the assessments, what could best meet their needs. Um, we researched all different districts and what they do and how they choose to do this. We talked about, um, we researched, we asked students what they wanted to see, and we knew we had some gaps in our curriculum that we wanted to fill that not necessarily curriculum gaps, but just interest gaps for Mm. students. Um, So we decided to break the junior and senior year up into two different strands is what we call them. So they've got a strand A where you focus on just like your persuasive and nonfiction works and then your strand B's that focus on your your fiction and your narrative writing. Mm -hmm. Not that those won't overlap in any way because they do, but it's just the main focus for the course. Um, And so Sports Lit was one that we knew immediately we thought that would be some interest. Um, and after teaching it for a couple of years, we realized we had a, um, the Strand B courses were lacking in their advanced offerings, so we needed something like that. So we wrote it, we had this great idea, we talked to DMAC, we talked about, or the three of us in our department talked to DMAC and talked about, okay, what can we do to get this off the ground and propose it to the board and move forward from there. And this is the first year I get to teach that class, so I'm pretty excited about yeah. it. Human writers, yes. I've been doing Sports Lit now for, I want to say three or four years. So I almost have it down to where I want it to be. Nice. Um, well, you mentioned the proposal aspect and sort of talking with DMAC and, and stuff. Um, I'm sure there are probably teachers out there who have, are maybe looking to propose electives or they realize that there maybe are some interest gaps, as you referred to them, uh, in their own uh, schools. Can you kind of fill us in on some of the things that you've learned throughout that process or um, surprises that you've encountered as uh, you've, you've gone through that process of proposing a new class? Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lot of these conversations as a department before, knowing that 
with the creation of all these electives will be the creation of all these preps as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there was an understanding that, yes, if we move forward with this, instead of having just a junior level class or just a basic required junior level class and a required senior level class, that we were going to have to be okay with taking on a lot of preps. Right. Um, I 100% am okay with that because I like the challenge. I like finding new ways to create and focus on that. But it was it definitely has its benefits. I think the, one of the biggest surprises is probably not that surprising, but the kids thought that it was a sports class, so it was going to be great. I can just come in and talk about sports, and oh, wait, no, I have to write, and I have to read, too. That was kind of like a, <laughs> as with anything, as you can right. imagine, that <laughs> you're like, no, we're still reading and writing involved, but if we go to sports, yeah, it's about sports. <laughs> so that's been kind of funny to watch. Sure. Yeah. 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 So kind of leapfrogging off of that, with, with both the sports lit class, which again, as you said, you've um, been doing for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then particularly for the advanced women's writers classes, that is new for you this year. Mm-hmm. What have been some of the more memorable moments from the course or things that, you know, we're approaching uh, Thanksgiving, kind of a good time for reflection looking mm-hmm. back that you kind of look back on the semester so far and um, just sort of remember fondly. Yes. Yeah. So the funniest thing is I have a small section. My advanced women writers is 10, 10 girls. And then that's the second hour, and I go to third hour, which is 26 boys and sports lit. That is very memorable <laughs> all around. Just that experience and how I think and how I process and how I relate to students switches like that in the five minutes that I have between the next class. Um, and both classes, we talk a lot about gender roles. Hmm. Uh, unintentionally in sports lit, it just because it comes up, like with Serena Williams lately and everything like that. And so both classes kind of want to talk to each other, which is I'm trying to figure out how I can get that going. If I get my advanced women writers kids yeah. and my sports lit kids to come together in the same room to talk about an issue, I'd be super fascinated to see how they would have that conversation. Right. Yes. No, that makes me uh, think back to when I student taught. I, I grew up in Minnesota, and I student taught um, for my, my high school placement. Um, the way it worked out with my teacher, she had the choir students in the period over lunch so the way the class would work is it alternated days where one day I would have the class entirely of girls the other day I would have it entirely of boys and as I remember as a what 21 22 year olds <laughs> guy fresh out of college that was it felt like you had to be a different person yeah, so you kind of do yeah <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of curious how, how do you approach those two classes do you intentionally approach them different or is it kind of just the, the vibe of the class is what directs you. The vibe of the class definitely yeah. has a huge direction of it and trying to keep that momentum. Um, but because it's two different levels, I kind of mm-hmm. do a different approach too. One sure. is college level and one is not. Gotcha. So we talk about um, like trying to work hard with the essential questions to kind of guide mm-hmm. everything. We talk about how women are perceived, how women writers are writing about women, what mm-hmm. does that tell us, and we everything back from... Mary Wollstonecraft all the way through to Adichie. I mean, it's been kind of fun to see that transition. Very cool. Yeah, so we're starting the color purple next, and I'm pretty excited about that. And then with my sports lit class, I have to give huge props to my husband um, because everybody would come home and say, hey, I'm teaching a sports lit class. My husband's (laughs) like, yes, I want to take that. So he has actually helped me get this class to where I really want it. Um, Our essential question for the year has been, what unites us and divides us about sports? And it has been so fascinating. The kids have just run with it. So any opportunity we have, like we talked about rhetorical analysis, rhetorical techniques, what the writer's doing. So how is the writer purposely uniting us or purposely dividing us with their rhetoric? Which was great when we talk about Serena Williams. We read everything, every opinion piece, or four opinion pieces were out there, running the gamut of opinions. Um, And then we talked about 
um, the Fab Five, which I learned all about, watched a documentary on the Fab Five. Michigan? Yes, yeah. yes, uh, yes. And the kids were are far enough removed from it, they don't really know it. But then we had a great academic discussion about how that team united and divided sports at their time. Mm. So it's been super fun. We're just getting into research papers now where they'll write on their own issue that they think unites and divides us and we'll persuade from there. That does sound really yeah, cool. I'm pretty excited. I want to sign up for your class, <laughs> <Yes>. Nikki. <laughs> so the last little bit for, for I guess, this conversation with, with you um, day-to-day in your classroom, uh, I've noticed on Twitter and Facebook this month that you're participating in the Thankful Teacher Photo Challenge on social media, which I think is really cool. I know for me personally, I sometimes... No, I get caught up in the day-to-day minutia of being a teacher, and I'm sure this is common across teachers, but I, t- I tend to focus on what didn't work versus what worked, and uh, I could probably be a bit more thankful in my day-to-day experience as a teacher, and again, selfishly for my own <laughs> maybe well-being, but hopefully for listeners too. Uh, professionally, how do you go about seeing the positive uh, when, when sometimes, you know, we're always trying to correct maybe the negative or what didn't go well. Mm-hmm. How do you go about seeing the positive in your day-to-day professional life? Right. I should preface that by saying that November is always my least favorite month. <laughs> I don't know what it is, and I feel like it, I could. I'm not alone here. I feel right. like, but I feel like November is just that time where you're trying to survive, which is crazy because it has. It's surrounded by all my favorite things with the holidays coming mm-hmm. up and um, hot chocolates and teas and cozy right. sweaters and boots. It's all my favorite things, and so each year, I almost take it as me against November like I'm not gonna let you win this year and each year I try and each year we should see how we can go Um, so I try and figure out it's a lot of writing it's a lot of reflecting to figure out okay what's good about this what's what can I make do better how can I move forward with this and it's it's a lot of just finding the little things and celebrating those little things knowing that I am doing this okay I am enough I am working on this yes there are every class I have right now 155 papers to grade right now but (laughs) bless your heart (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they'll still be there tomorrow they'll right. still be there the next day and trying to work hard to find that balance and it's not easy anybody mm. that has it easy or if it looks like I have it easy on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter that is not the case <laughs> <laughs> but um, trying to make sure that I can highlight those things not only for everybody else it's not for, it's for me too mm-hmm. um, it's actually been a very vulnerable process even the first four days to I think I deleted the first post like four times before mm-hmm. I was like Okay, let's try this. <laughs> and, and so that's good for me to push those vulnerabilities out there. Right. Yeah, for sure. So, and speaking of vulnerabilities, maybe this is putting you in a vulnerable <laughs> spot too. I don't know. For the good of all of us, so we can maybe sort of learn from, from your leadership and this, this uh, you know, thankful reflection you're doing. Uh, is there a story from the school year so far that you can sort of tell to illustrate something that as you look back, you are thankful for that experience, even if it was maybe something in that moment, maybe you were thankful for it, but now removed you are. Yes. I think every day in teaching offers those moments that you could be like, <laughs> right. oh, yep, that one, yep, okay. that one. Good, I'm not the only yes. one. <laughs> um, I think most recently, the coolest thing when I started that November challenge is the response that I got from professors at UNI that mm. I had 15 years ago and students that I had five years ago. That was like one of the things you hold on to when you put in the back pocket sure. and save for those bad days. And just remembering that I have that pile. I have that pile of notes from kids and former students thanking me for the work and recognizing the work that I do. Um, holding on to those and pulling those out more frequently than I probably do. And just mm. reminding myself that, look, it's exhausting, but it does make a difference. It right. matters. 
No, Nikki, that's great. And I, um, speaking of thankful, I'm thankful for you uh, taking t- taking some time here today to uh, talk through this. Um, we'll c- c- kind of get to the point of wrapping up here and getting you out of here on this. I know, uh, obviously, from getting to know you over the past couple of years, but uh, also your interactions with you on social media and, and whatnot, that you're a big believer of instilling not only the you know ability and development of your kids as readers, but um, developing that love of reading in your students as well. Out of my curiosity and selfishness and whatever, uh, I'm really curious about what you've read lately or, or what are some things that you uh, would recommend and maybe can you give us a quick book talk or two yes, before we get yes, you out of here. Sure. Um, I just finished The Hate List um, by Jennifer Brown and that was like reading about my worst nightmare. So <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely engrossing. It was very creative in the way it was told and I liked it a lot. And I used that as a model to dissect with my students when they were talking about teenagers reading mm-hmm. their uh, young adult lit books and talking about teenagers. That was my model that I used. I recommend it. I know kids are, I know Ellen Hopkins just came out with a new book for yeah, shooting or something. Um, yeah, I have it sitting at home. I haven't brought it <laughs> in yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. People Kill People. Yes, it's called. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And, I, and so the kids, and the other one, this is where it ends. The kids mm. want that. They want to understand their lives right now and the threats that they have. Um, and then I also started Purple Hibiscus by Adichie. Mm because I'm going to go see her at the NCTE conference and I wanted to make sure I had that read. That was awesome. (laughs) That was my motivation there. Yes. Well, great. Well, uh, like I said, Nikki, thank you for joining me here today. Uh, I know you mentioned the the theme here for the conference next year. Um, Again, never too early to kind of uh, plug plug that great yes, event. Um, so do we have do we have dates for that? Yep. October 10th and 11th of 2019 still here in Johnston at the Stony Creek Inn. And as far as updates and stuff just keep uh, an eye on the ICCE Twitter, yep. Facebook group, all yep. those types of things. Yep. When we get um, speakers confirmed I'll make sure I announce them. Alright. Again, thank you for your time Nikki. Thanks for listening to the ICTE podcast. The next episode will be coming your way in February. The podcast is written, produced, and hosted by me, Austin Hall. Music for this episode by Steve Combs and Lee Rosevier from the Free Music Archive. If you like what you heard, please let us know by subscribing to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can now listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and many other podcast streaming platforms. We'd also love for you to rate and review the ICTE podcast. That will allow others to discover us. Thank you also to Aaron Miller and Nikki Smith for their contributions to this episode. Thanks again, ICTE. Until next time, this has been Austin Hall for the ICTE podcast, the official podcast of the Iowa Council of Teachers of English.